Hey everyone, it's Meredith Carey and Lala Ericoglu. Hello. <laughs> the host of Drinking Women. my wine. <laughs> the host of Women Who Travel, a podcast from Con Ass Traveler. Today, we're joined by Refinery29's work and money director, Lindsay Stanberry. Hello. Refinery has long had this series on its site called Money Diaries, which you may know from its recent viral explosion, but it's also been around for how many? Um, almost three years now. Wow. And all those financial diaries, which are women from all over the place, sharing exactly how they've spent money in a week, has been rolled up with a bunch of helpful guides about saving and spending money into a book, which Lindsay has graciously written and worked on for about a year, called Money Diaries, Everything You've Ever Wanted to Know About Your Finances and Everyone Else's. The book is great, but Lolly and I are actually here on a fact-finding mission <laughs> um, to figure out how to budget for a dream vacation. Both of us have... The, uh, dubious finances <laughs> interesting relationships <laughs> with our own money um, and working in this industry have so many reasons to spend it so the first question for you is have you always been good with money <laughs> or has this been kind of a journey for you too I've always been careful with my money I also got kind of lucky and kind of unlucky in that I hooked up with a very frugal man very early in my <laughs> 20s and have been married to him since my late 20s, and he is the super saver in my life, and so I'm kind of good with money by default. So I had the same trajectory as you, except that I ended up with someone who's like equally as bad as money as I am. We're a real dream team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that struggle is real, right? So it makes spending money hard sometimes. And I think that even though I talk a lot in this book about saving money, it is also good at times to spend it. Well, I think that's something that Lale and I have talked about off the podcast a lot is that sometimes people in their early, mid, late 20s, early 30s feel sometimes like a guilt about spending this money that they quote unquote like should be saving on nice things like traveling. Well, I think it's difficult because you have this dilemma where I think for a lot of people, at least who are around our age, our generation, living in, in a major city, it's very hard to actually save money anyway because the cost of living is so high. So the amount of like disposable income you have feels like not quite enough to save and actually make any real long-term impact, but just enough to spend on going on holiday. But then at least that's my experience. And then I feel very guilty about it. And I read some story that says like I'm supposed to have saved like 70 grand by the time I'm 30 and I have like not that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think people remember, or, excuse me, I think people forget with that 70 grand by the time you're 30 is it's supposed to be in your 401k. So ideally you've been investing in it and it's been building because the stock market's been going up for the last few years. So I don't think that most people will expect you to have that kind of money in your savings account. I mean, I think it's all about priorities, right? That's kind of what this book is about. Like, I would recommend everyone have an emergency fund and be investing in their 401ks. And then hopefully there's some left over to spend on that holiday. And then I also think that there's a lot of like, we want to have these incredible Instagram worthy vacations when in fact, like you can travel to a lot of these places thanks to all the different travel deal websites and Airbnb and do it for fairly cheap. And so one of the things that I really like about the book and, and, and the whole series over the last three years that's been quite illuminating to me is the fact that women really like to actually talk about money with each other and share their finances. 
How did you kind of come to realize that? Was it through like conversations with your own friends or uh, readers writing in or what happened? Yeah, I so so I, I am somebody who's saving a lot of money. I wrote a story about how my husband and I saved 100K to buy our first apartment in New York. And that was really popular with our two nine readers and we were really excited about it. And it made me realize that women really did want to have these conversations and understand how people save money. I got into the very nitty gritty of our daily lives. And that kind of began to inspire the conversations that we were having around money. And then we launched Money Diaries in January 2016. It, it was an experiment. The editor who came up with the idea, Jessica Chow, came to me and was like, you know, we should do this. And I was like, I don't know, it might be boring. People might just show grocery receipts. And the result is obviously the opposite of that. And I think that women really enjoy seeing themselves as the narrators of their own financial lives. You know, it's, it's exciting. It's interesting, even in the fact that it can be very mundane. Well, it's also, I mean, if you think about it, on the grand scheme of things, actually isn't that long ago since we weren't able to open our own bank accounts. Exactly. So I think being able to like have that power to talk about your own money and how yeah. you choose to spend it is like a very wonderful thing. It's exciting, right? To see how young women in their 20s and 30s are earning their paychecks and then choosing to spend it. And they might not always spend it the way I would spend it, you know? But that's okay. Like, that's cool. Like, I think that there's some great joy in reading about how other people do things. What do you think the benefits are to keeping those sorts of money diaries just for yourself? I have this friend um, who comes up on this podcast a lot who keeps track of literally everything in the notes section of her phone, but she only does it when we're traveling. Like, we'll be going to a museum, and she's like, okay, museum, four euros. And then we'll go get gelato, and she's like, pear gelato, number five, six euros, or whatever it is. And for her, it's like a mix of, okay, this is how much money I'm spending, and like that's a good uh, tracker, but it's also like literal recollection of exactly what she did during the day because for so much of travel like it's it is hard to go somewhere and not want to spend money or find a reason to spend money so what do you think you know that money diary system or that mentality does for you as a budgeter or a traveler can i just ask you as the as the person traveling with her does it drive you crazy it doesn't I come home and I'm like, okay, like there's an undetermined chunk of money now gone from my bank account. Like it's like around this amount. And she knows like exactly, exactly what, what happened. And it always, I'm always like, oh, I should do this. I should do this. And then I never do it. How did she feel about it by the end of the trip? And she looks back on that list of everything, of her spending. So does she feel good about her decisions? Because it's not an Excel spreadsheet, like it doesn't automatically tally, right? right? Like right. all the money that she spent. So it's just kind of like a quasi hour by hour of her trip, which I think she really likes. And then also like, a, okay, maybe you didn't need to buy all of those gelatos and on that single day. Next time, buy less gelatos or buy more gelatos because you didn't spend enough money on gelato. Katie really likes gelato. I'm going to out her. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that for your day-to-day -day life, doing a money diary can be really illuminating and how you're spending and saving. I think that people are not often aware of like how much take-home pay they're really bringing in and like what their rent is in, you know, in terms of like the percentage of their paycheck and how much they are putting in their 401k. When I wrote this book, I have to admit that I had to look up and see how much I was investing. So we literally got the book sent to us and I opened it and was like, oh shoot, how much money is in my 401k? And then we were both like, how do you log into your 401k? Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, that like mystery password. So 
In terms of like mindfulness, I think it's a really good exercise, especially if you're not mindful on a day-to-day basis. For travel, I think if your friend enjoys doing it, awesome. I'm definitely in that camp of like, I have kind of a sense of how much I want to spend. And as long as I'm staying within that, the whole point is to be on a trip. So I don't really want to be, you know, like I'm not going to go over the top because I don't go over the top in general. And I would encourage people to like have a sense of like, you know, I'm taking this awesome trip. I'm spending $500 on travel and $1,000 on the room. And I don't want to spend another more than $500. Like it'll be my 2K trip. So I think that that's really important is like to like go in having a sense of what you want to spend and not like beat yourself up if you kind of spend more or, you know, less. Because it's travel. That's the whole point. Right. So I think one thing that we were both intrigued about, given my own spending, (laughs) is sort of what is a timeline? I mean, obviously it varies from the type of vacation you're going to take. But what is your sort of timeline for saving up for a vacation? How many months should you allot and kind of how should you... What's the runway? (laughs) Help me. Help me. Because I don't know. (laughs) Well, I think it depends on how much you want to spend. And like, is this like a weekend trip that you're taking with your girlfriends? Or is it like a really big, like once in a lifetime trip? And then if it's not something that's going to fit into your budget that you are going to go into credit card debt, it's figuring out those other things in your life that you don't need, but that you are spending money on and cutting those knowing that like that trip is in the future and that's that awesome thing that you're saving for. We ran a story from a freelancer a couple of years ago that was one of my all-time favorites where she was saving up $10,000 so she could quit her job and move to, I think she was moving to Costa Rica, maybe the DR, with her husband. That's what they were going to do. They were just going to have this like fabulous early retirement. And she figured out that it would take her a year, saving like $20 a day. And in her head, she was like, that's an Uber or a hardcover book or over a week, that's like a cute outfit from Zara. Like those were like manageable numbers. Mm -hmm. And every morning she woke up and she transferred that $20 to her savings account. And it was like that mindfulness that really, you know, helped her. And I think she ended up doing it quicker because she was also throwing any extra like found money. Like I think she put some of her, her like tax return. That's a great, you know, quick savings thing that can help you like build momentum. So I think you figure out what that number is and then breaking it down into like a daily goal can be really helpful. Because I think everyone, I feel like when I talk to friends or it's like, Lent and you know your pastor's like well mm-hmm. if you didn't spend the three dollars on Starbucks every morning you could have this much money um, to give to me or <laughs> to spend on something else because I think twenty dollars is like a more like I think of that as like okay cool that's not a tiny amount of money but it's also not so much money that I yeah. couldn't throw it like in a savings account every day but three dollars like a one single latte is like such a hard thing for me to be like oh let me put aside a dollar fifty or like whatever it is I mean, I do think it adds up. We found in the book, you know, $5 a day, which really like $3 seems a little low for a trip to Starbucks. Yeah, I was going to say, where are you going? We're like blue My bottle. My iced tea is not like, that expensive, guys. Yeah, no, you're talking about like Condé Nast cafeteria prices. There we go. There we go. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, like $5 over a year, that's almost $2,000. So that's not an insignificant amount of change. I mean, I get it. I like my lattes. I wrote in the book that I 
I think I spent like $300 over six months and my husband was reading it and he was like, wait, you spent what? (laughs) (laughs) To which I tweeted and the internet was like, but that's not very much. (laughs) Thank you, internet, (laughs) for supporting my coffee habit. Um, But I have to admit that I did stop buying those $5 lattes when I was working on this book because it was like, okay, it's not really a $5 latte. I'm also going to get a cookie. I'm going to tip. And then all of a sudden it's like $8 for an afternoon snack. And that just seemed insane. And there was just better things that I could spend that money on. So yes, I think that does work. I think, but maybe you want that latte and maybe it's better than a trip to, I don't know, where does everybody want to go right now? Portugal. It's not better than a trip to Portugal. It's not. It's not. I also um, always just drink half of it in the morning and then forget about right? it. And then it's just this big, heavy, cold thing of coffee that I spent $5 on. Yeah, it's really depressing, isn't it? <laughs> when you were talking earlier about credit card debt, I find, as someone who deals with flight deals and points and frequent flyer miles and all those things, almost on a daily basis, trying to dissect it all, I find that like just like a really formidable world to jump into like do you have any starting points for people who might want to maybe not go into credit card debt but use that as a way of paying off their travel expenses right their points right i mean i work with this awesome financial advisor Priya Milani and she's a big proponent of everyone having a credit card because you use that credit card on a daily basis and you get the points and then you can use the points for travel or you know other things. My biggest bad habit right now is using it to pay off whatever I'm buying on Amazon. (laughs) I've made it so easy. So I think that with credit cards, it's so important to just be paying them off every month or like looking for a good deal. Like if you do want to like put your trip on a credit card, look for a good deal. Those are not something that I've ever been good at, but like 0% APR that you've got 18 months to pay it off and you're going to get a ton of points if you... There are definitely people who game that system and more power to them. It's not something that I'm good at, but I would say absolutely, like, put your travel on your credit card, but make sure you can pay it off. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I have, like, a very basic Bank of America travel rewards card. I was out at dinner the other night with a bunch of friends who were in town, and we all went to pay, and we all had the exact same (laughs) card, and we were all like, we all do this a lot. Um, I went to brunch with a friend, and he produced six different credit cards, which gave me like a near stroke because I (laughs) have only just got got a credit card for the first time age like 30 and it's one for a child and (laughs) I'm terrified to use it well I feel like last year the Chase Sapphire Reserve card was absolutely everywhere and to me it was like a large shock to think okay you have to pay $450 to get a credit card to then spend more money and pay it back later. But we do, I will say we do have a really good story on the site by Ryan Craggs, who's a contributor and former traveler editor. And it's sitting right in front of me and it actually made so much more sense to sit down and read it and go through it because you have to pay $450, but you get $300 in a travel credit. So if you think about it, the annual fee is $150 and then you have $300 to buy a flight. So if you're already planning a trip, it makes slightly a tiny bit of sense in my mind to say okay this is what I'll use this for and I'll use that sign up you know fee and and the $300 bonus to just use that for this specific thing I don't know if I could justify like okay I'm gonna just spend $450 right now but 50,000 points is like a really 
is like a is a lot of points. It's a lot of points. And I feel like I want to get into this points credit card game and I need to figure it out. It's like real math. No, it was seriously. As, for as much as I say in the book like managing your personal finances is not real math, I feel like the credit card points game is math. And I think that the hardest part for me, I think that for me sitting down and saying, okay, I'm going to, you know, say $5 a day or $20 a day or whatever, like those are numbers that I'm like, okay, cool. That's, you know, I can do that. That's a simple motion. Sitting down and reading through, okay, these are the foreign transaction fees. These are how you redeem your points. This is all this stuff. Is almost like a lazy girl's barrier to entry. (laughs) I need to sit down and do it. Um, But I think it's like, it's intimidating. And I think sometimes, I mean, we both were like, 401ks, what? That sort of stuff is is intimidating, but I don't necessarily think that based on this book and reading on the site, like it doesn't have to be. No, I don't think it does. I mean, like I said, I, I still find it be a little scary and foreign transaction fees too. But I think when it comes to your, I mean, it is good to remember that like you probably don't need a credit card that you're paying a big monthly fee toward or annual fee. Um, you might not be getting that 50,000 points, but you might be getting other points. So like, I do think that figuring out how that fits into your budget can be a really big thing. I mean, $450 is a lot. It's a yeah. lot of money. And I think it's, you know, it's like, who is that card for? Like, you know, yeah, you right. Know, and it applies to someone with a certain salary. Yeah, right. To them, $450 isn't that much money. To right. me, $450 is a lot of money. And $300 doesn't get you very far. <laughs> it gets you home for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You tell me how much it's going to be to fly to Dallas. Uh, yeah, my flight for Thanksgiving is $400 something, which yeah. is insane. Yeah. Um, they need to fix that uh, yeah. price gouging. But no, I mean, I think that, that for now, my Bank of America card, which did not cost mm-hmm. me anything to sign up for, provides me with enough for how I travel now, if I was traveling all the time for work and I could put it on my personal credit card, things might be a little different, but that's not allowed here. (laughs) (laughs) So one thing I'm interested to know actually is, you know, when you were putting the book together, what were some of the biggest spending habits you noticed among millennial women? And how much did travel play a part in that? I think travel played a big part in it. One of my favorite diaries in the book is a woman living in Brooklyn who has like six figures in student loan debt, and she loves to travel. And she talks a lot about planning travel with her boyfriend. And she uses that Digit app. I don't know if you've ever used that, but it hooks up to your it hooks up to your bank accounts, yes, and figures out ways to like save a little bit of money here like, and there. Like sneaks money away from you, mm-hmm. like a couple dollars or cents or like rounds up or whatever it is to yeah. kind of. So she uses that. She was saving up to like four hundred dollars a month on that. Maybe not quite that much, but a lot, and was then using that to like buy plane tickets somewhere. And I think that that's a really good example. You know, I think that. So many of us carry student loan debt, and we think of that as a barrier from being able to do the things we want to do. But getting that into like a manageable payment, monthly payment, where it's like you've got you know a decent interest rate and you can pay it each month. Think of it as more of a marathon than like something you have to like do right now. Like my husband just paid off his student loans, and we, you know, traveled and bought an apartment and had a kid and. Having that student loan debt wasn't a barrier for my, for us doing these things that we wanted to do, and now the thing that you know stops us from traveling is because we have a two year old, and that really truly like 
that's the end of travel. You're going to need to talk to our coworker, Lauren DiCarlo, who feels the same way about her two-year-old. Everyone else says three, fine. Two, no go. And then no. also uh, um, other coworker, Laura Redman, who has a one-year-old and is still like, this is great. I can take her everywhere. And I think Lauren's like, just you wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was reading through the book and I came across a little bit that I had never even thought about, which is how financially important it is to take your vacation days. Yes, it's so important. Blew my mind. I was just bugging my team about it. I was like, we're coming up on end of year. Get it in. <laughs> you can roll over four days, but I would prefer you don't. So what days are you taking off? Yeah, I, um, one of the financial planners that I worked with, Manish Takor, told me that you can basically calculate how much that time is worth. I think it's like you figure out your hourly wage, which is your salary divided by 2000 I don't know it's in the book so I apologize you have to buy the book <laughs> to figure out your hourly wage actually you can google it but it breaks down to being like a few thousand dollars which you're not going to see actually monetarily but if you think about it if you're working all those days then you're technically getting paid less so take your vacation days it also makes you a better employee I think I always come back feeling better after I've not been in the office for a while it's also like a very American thing to yes. to have vast guilt about taking your vacation days, and also that I've I've met people that have kind of have been quite proud of the fact that they haven't taken their oh, vacation yeah. days. Yeah, I mean, so Project Time Off is this company that researches Americans' vacation taking behaviors, mm -hmm. and earlier this year, I talked to a bunch of people who take full advantage of their PTO just to kind of get their hacks for actually making it work. And last year, Project Time Off found that Americans leave more than 700 million unused vacation days on the table, which is equivalent to $65 billion. It's crazy. Um, which is absolutely nuts. And, and so many people said the exact same thing that you did, which is that they feel like so creatively reinvigorated, being able to take time away from their desk and actually legitimately take time away from their desk and not yeah. be working from vacation or whatever yes. it is. Um, I'm not good at that, but yes. <laughs> and I think that there are strategies to be able to like put up those boundaries or not, depending on what you're comfortable with. Yes. But I also think that like even just leaving the office or taking a day at home, that's, I mean, I think that's a really great point that you made in the book, which is even if you're staying and having a staycation and maybe don't spend any money on that day or don't travel, yeah. Like, that's such a valuable time. Yeah. I mean, we're lucky because we live in New York, and doing a staycation here can be as good as traveling to a, a different place. But every city, every town, you can find things to do that you don't usually do that, you know, get you out of your comfort zone a little bit and, you know, reframe the way you look at the world. And that's so powerful, and it makes you just – it makes you a better employee. Do I like it when my team is gone? No, it makes my life harder. But when they come back and they're rested and – they have new ideas and that's awesome. That makes things so much better. Well, I think it's really interesting what you were saying about breaking down actually your like hourly salary. And I think that's something that I've been really trying to think about, which is actually like valuing my time mm -hmm. and, and learning to appreciate it and like protect it and see it as something that is of worth. Yes. Which I think I've spent the entirety of my 20s not doing because I've got the mentality where I was just like, I have to like work 
every hour that's thrown at me, I have to look like I'm working really, really hard all the time. If I take my vacation days, like I'll lose my job, which yes. is not true. It's also it's not like true. not legal to fire somebody exactly. for taking their vacation exactly. days. It's your right. <laughs> yes. Hopefully, every, you know, you're working for a boss that understands that. I don't know if you want to be working in a culture that like Doesn't. tells you not to, exactly. right? I think that's something we all need to get better at thinking about is like you actually are in these and you should take them. And that's important. Well, and, you know, there's I feel like I always hear living here, heard people make lots of quips about like endless European holidays. And in the UK, it's a minimum of I think it's like a minimum of four weeks. And that's just the bare minimum you get. And then you accrue. It's not like everyone's on holiday all the time, but people actually go on vacation. They take it all. Yeah. I mean, you have to wonder why we have to be on all the time, right? I think in in New York and in media, like we all feel guilty of that. Like, who's the busiest? My dad used to joke that that's like the that's like the, who hits the lightest contest. Like, don't play that contest because the person is not going to hit you lightly. It's like the whoever's busiest is not the winner of this contest. No. Exactly. Are you saving up for anything in particular right now? Mm, that's a good question. No, unfortunately. I just <laughs> spend all my money on daycare these days. But we are going on book tour. So I'm like taking some like grown-up trips without Ooh. my child and without my husband, which is really <laughs> exciting. And I'm also trying to convince my husband after all this book madness is over that we should like take a grown-up trip. I'm thinking Mexico City. Oh my think? god. Yeah. Mexico City is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. We don't we're not second guessing you on that at all. <laughs> yeah, it is absolutely fantastic. Fantastic. You will love it. I will love it. Can I do it affordably? Uh, yeah. 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 That's what street tacos are for. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's also like, I mean, it's vast and sprawling and overwhelming, but it is also in parts incredibly walkable and mm-hmm. easy to explore. And the subway system is like incredibly efficient and incredibly cheap. Interesting. And puts the MTA in New York <laughs> to absolute shame. It's not that hard. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> bar's very low. I would also say what you were saying earlier about how there are so many opportunities now to find inexpensive accommodations if you spend the time looking for them is so true. I think especially in Mexico City, there's so many beautiful Airbnbs mm-hmm. that you can get for a third, a quarter of the price yeah. it would be for you to stay for one night in a hotel and even if you're staying in a room in someone's home or staying in a full apartment or a full house like those opportunities are so great and inexpensive and can be even more exciting and valuable than if you had spent your time or money in a hotel well and I think also I mean Airbnb obviously there's a lot of discussion around like the pros and cons of Airbnb and its presence in you know, major cities and elsewhere. But I think one of the things it has done has made travel just seem so much more accessible. Yeah, I think so too. And and local, right? Like I think that's so much more enjoyable when you can feel like you're like in it and living like a local. Exactly. And I found that like often a deterrent for me would when I'd be planning trips would be, well, I can afford the flights, but I can't afford a hotel in this place. And I yeah. don't want to stay in an absolute shithole but it really felt like an either or and now with airbnb it's like even if it's just a room in someone's apartment it can be a really nice apartment with cool people yeah um and suddenly i feel like the whole world is like that much more accessible which i think is why millennials like are traveling a lot more and it's not entirely to do with the fact that maybe we're not as good with our money as we should be i actually think we're quite good at it i think we're pretty good with our money i mean we 
we have a lot of debt from student loans and from a bad economy and stagnant wages and on and on and on. I I think it's really exciting that millennials want to spend their money on travel. I think travel opens up our worlds to so many new and interesting ideas and it's only going to like make our lives better, our interactions with people better. Like if you're going to be like blue skies, you know, like truly it's a life changer and hopefully we'll you know, bring those ideas back. Maybe, you know, visiting Europe will encourage us all to take our vacations. Reading European Money Diaries always makes me want to, like, pack up and move to Europe. <laughs> they never have student loan debt. Um, I, I don't have any student loan debt. Um, so I think that that, to me, is better having an experience to spend your money on than, like, you know, something, a, a fancy purse, uh, you know, I do think, you know, you had mentioned earlier, like Instagram, I do think that that can be stressful and it can make you want to like stay at the fanciest, you know, hotels and, and things like that. So that can be stressful. Wanting to have the like perfect outfits, wanting to look like an influencer in your Instagrams, right? It's all a lie. <laughs> it is a lie. And it takes so much time. Well, and you know, um, we were talking to a friend of ours who's a big traveler and is traveling all the time and if you look at her instagram she has an incredibly fabulous life because she's traveling the world all the time she's virtually a country counter and when we asked her about possibly coming on this podcast she was like i'm in a lot of debt that's not an option <laughs> like, i cannot come on i'm this. not i'm not the prime example and i think that the other thing is that jessica nabango who comes on the podcast a lot has been crowdfunding a ton of her journey to become the first african-american woman to visit every country in the world because like living that lifestyle is virtually impossible yeah and it takes a lot of money it does um if you're traveling to Paris on Norwegian, maybe not. But if you're trying to visit uh, Papua New Guinea, like, yeah, you're going to have to pay a little bit more money. And so I think like that, I think I've really appreciated that honesty from Jessica to show that like, it's not easy for her and she is not getting handouts a lot of the way. And I think that her openness about like, I'm paying for this myself and it is really friggin' hard has made me realize like, okay, she has beautiful photos and she's struggling too. So it's not all hand-holding photos and uh, beautiful saturation. Yes. Well, and I think that's part like the real charm of the Money Diaries is the honesty and is the mm -hmm. openness. Although I was wondering, how do you fact check them? Well, I mean, you know, it is self-reporting. So we make sure the person's real. We have emails and we follow up to make sure, you know, LinkedIn is a great you know, way to confirm that this person actually is a marketing manager at blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, we trust that they're telling us the truth in terms of like, you know, they spent $100 on this and they pay $1,000 in rent. And, you know, I, every once in a while we'll get one and I'll be like, mm, no, this is this is not real. We got quite a few of those after the viral diary. I felt like if people were testing us. Um, <laughs> They must have a lot of time on their hands. They must write to like write a fake diary. <laughs> I do not have time to do that. I it takes don't a lot of creative writing skills. <laughs> a lot of creative writing skills. So I think that you also have to remember that people like when they share these diaries, you know, sometimes they share like an, an interesting week that they're having that they, they go out more. They might eat out more. They might try to be more careful at the grocery store. They make clip coupons. There is a certain amount of like, you know, they are showing their best selves when they do this. 
sorry, it just reminds me, this is a complete aside, but is money related. And that when me and my husband had our green card interview, which is exactly like it is in the movies, um, (laughs) we had to bring in all of our bank statements to prove that we lived together and that our lives were like suitably entangled. And the immigration officer went through my bank statement with a highlighter and his and highlighted every time he went to the same coffee shop, which was, you know, proof that yes, we are together and we live together. But it also like added up as in how much money we were spending and he commented on it. And he was like, he's like, I think you need to change your spending. It's exactly what that interview is for. It's a financial advisor like, session. I was like, this is the most stressful hour of my life. Please don't please don't go down this road. That's oh, so funny. Gosh. I have one, co- I actually have one yeah, more yeah. question. For listeners who are planning and trying to save up for a trip, what are your kind of like top three tips and sort of just easy ways to start saving that money? What would be your go-to? What would be my go-to? I mean, I think doing a money diary and figuring out those things that you're spending money on. I mean, we we have this thing in the book that we call the highlighter test where you actually go through your bank statement and highlight the things that don't bring you joy. So you can cut the Marie Kondo budgeting system. Yes, to like, you know, think like, that Starbucks that sits at my desk does not actually like bring me joy because it's turned to cold sludge mm-hmm. by the time I get around to drinking it. I think that those are easy things that you can cut out of your life. I also think that there's something about that kind of like vision of that thing that you want. I'm not going to say like go and make a Pinterest board, but like maybe go and make a Pinterest board. Like having that goal and like thinking about that's the thing that you want. I think that that makes not getting the Starbucks that much easier. Oh, and then I would also say, it's funny, one of the things that my husband always does is he freelances a lot, and so he always thinks about how much something costs in relation to what he spends, which drives me crazy. But then my friend today, who just got engaged, she was like, I'm gonna start taking on extra freelance assignments in the price range of the things that I want to get for my wedding. She's like, and I have my eye on some $200, save the dates. Can you let me know if you have any freelance stories that you need done? And I was like, that's kind of genius. So I think that like, if you're saving for travel, like looking for those like extra things, like maybe say sell some clothes on Poshmark or, you know, take on a side hustle for a while can be like an easy, quicker way to save that money. That's great. Well, you can read all about all of the money diaries that are online and then some other ones that are have never been published published before. before. Um, And all of Lindsay's advice, which includes a lot of information that Lolly and I needed about our 401ks. We're just going to reiterate that. It's in stores right now. Yeah, it's in stores. Amazing. And and everywhere books are sold. And you can probably see Lindsay in your major U.S. city. Yeah. uh, San Francisco, Dallas, D.C. and Chicago. Amazing. And you can check out her writing and other money diaries on refinery29.com. Where can people find you on social media slash the internet? The internet. So I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Ellie Stanberry. Perfect. Lale? You can find me at Lale Hannah on Instagram. And I'm at Oh Hey There Mayor. Check out stories about credit cards, endpoints, and those things that I cannot explain on this podcast on cntraveler.com. And best of luck saving for your next trip. Bye.